0: and they have their pop-up camper, and they are working their way all the way out to Yellowstone National Park. I'm excited for them. Uh, To my knowledge, they left Monday, and here it is three days later, and I understand they've made it to uh, Gaylord. So uh, pray pray for them. No, I don't know where they are. I haven't I haven't bothered Brother Jamie. And the best news about him being on vacation is he hasn't bothered me. So his vacation is my vacation as well. Tonight we're in Joshua chapter 15. And Joshua chapter 15 is basically the Lord through Moses dividing up the promised land. They, they've, they've crossed the Jordan River. They've fought battles they're claiming the promised land, there's all these people, there's 12 tribes, and the land has to be distributed among the people. And that's primarily what Joshua chapter 15 is all about. It's, It's not really a story, it's not really theology. It's just, okay, you guys, you get this parcel, you guys, you get this parcel, on the boundaries are this river, this mountain, and, and, and whatever. Important, but not necessarily compelling reading. Uh, but in the middle of that chapter, there's a little narrative story, and that's what we're going to focus on. We've already been introduced to Caleb, he was one of the original Joshua, the spies that went over into the land. When they came back, most of the spies were discouraged. You know, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's also bad guys over there. And uh, we're, we're not up to the task. And it was Joshua and it was Caleb saying, wait, whoa, 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 wait. Yeah, it is a land filled, filled with milk and honey. And the Lord said, it's ours. Let, let's go get it. Well, you know, they wandered around the wilderness till a generation dies off, but but Joshua and Caleb are able to go into the promised land and they're there, and Caleb's gotten his inheritance, but he makes an offer. He makes an offer concerning his daughter. And he says, Look, there's this town that still yet has to be taken. And the man that can take that town can have my daughter. And I, I, you know, I'm just assuming this, but I'm assuming that whatever man is up to the challenge would be someone that Caleb would respect and that his daughter would respect. It's going to take a special guy with special character, special courage to step up and say, I will do that. And that would also indicate a love for his daughter, that he wanted her that bad. So on on the surface, it may just sound like kind of a a business transaction almost. But when you go back to the time period and you think about it, you know, no doubt that the the young man that takes Caleb up on his offer, you know... (laughs) I, I shouldn't say it, but I, I assume if he's willing to do that, she must have been a pretty good-looking girl. You know, otherwise, eh, no, no thanks. <laughs> but but he does. So, And, and no doubt that, that rather than a, a cold-hearted business transaction, if you think about it, whatever young man would step up and do that would be a young man of courage. He'd have to have some talent and ability, some leadership and what have you. Uh, someone that no doubt his daughter would aspire to. And here's the story. It's just a few short verses in Joshua chapter 15. And then we're going we're to look at that story. And the average commentator, the average preacher would look at that story and say, what does that represent? And, and as you'll see in a minute, because you want to learn something. It's, it's just a narrative. It's just a story. Here's what Caleb, want, here's what he offered. Here's a young man that took him up on it. And then he, he, he got the city, he got the wife, and then uh, his daughter comes to him and says, Dad, you know, you've been good, you gave us a land, but we need water. And he gives them some land with some springs on it. Okay. Obviously, Caleb, a very generous, giving, Dad, he didn't hesitate. You want land with water? Sure, honey, here it is. Take this. Here's the plot map, and you've got this, this, and this is yours. And, you know, here, I'll throw in an an extra spring for you. And a lot of commentators, they read that, say, what does that mean? You know, because we we, we believe the Bible is is very important. I mean, I could have preached on the boundaries. In fact, I am going to preach a series very soon. You know, why is all that in there? You know, here's, you know, this tribe, you get this land, and the boundaries are this, and this tribe, you get this land, and the boundaries are that. That's what most of the chapter is about. And you, you know, you say, well, what's that all about? Is, is there a message there? And it, and it could be that, yeah, the message is, is boundaries. Tribes had boundaries. God sets boundaries. God sets boundaries for you and I. And I thought about going that direction. You could have preached a message on Joshua chapter 15 about the fact that God sets boundaries. This tribe, tribe of Judah, here's your boundary, and here's your boundary for the other tribes. Uh, But then I read this story, and I thought, well, no, here's another story within the story. What's this one all about? What, What is the significance of this? And as you'll see in a second, a lot of theologians and Bible commentators say the message is as... Her father was generous with her. God is generous with us. And then I thought, you know, a lot of preachers, I read their commentaries. They say, God is so giving. God is so generous. And then I thought, some people are going to have a problem with that. Some people are going to say, you know, I'm struggling. Some people are going to say, what about Genevieve and... James down in Knoxville. What about uh, down in Little Tyler, down in Houston, Texas? And I think some people would struggle with that. And preachers are good about doing that, just throwing that out—that generality. God is good and God is generous, And, and that's true. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that's not true. But I know that people look at it through their personal filters, and they may say, "Well, maybe that's true for you, but that's not true for me." And I got to thinking about that whole image of a father. Let's read the account. Joshua 15, verse number 16. And Caleb said, He that smiteth, curjath Sephra, and taketh it, to him will I give Achish, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave him Achish, his daughter, to wife. Verse number 18. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that she moved to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass. And Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing. For thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And what did he do? And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Again, most of chapter 15 is dealing with the division of the land and the boundaries, and there's a message there. But within that chapter is this little short brief story. And Caleb had a daughter named Achish. And he said, anyone that can defeat or take Kajeth, Sephra, you win my daughter's hand in marriage. And Othniel did that. And Caleb was true to his word. He said, okay, she is your daughter. And, you know, I can't help but believe that that was good with everybody, based on some of the comments I've already made, that he, wasn't, he wouldn't force his daughter into a bad situation, and Achish wouldn't want to be in a bad situation. So I believe, you know, just my side notation is I, I think it was good with everybody. And she and her husband had been given land by Caleb, her father, and she asked him, though, for more, you know, water, and he says he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs, didn't seem to hesitate. And like I said, if you look at what other preachers have to say about this, and I do that, there are a lot of preachers a lot, more, a lot smarter, a lot more knowledgeable than I am, and there are trustworthy commentators. There are not so trustworthy commentators, and there are those that I trust. And one of them I read said this about this story, because you, you read the Bible, and you say, what does that mean? What, what is the message there? You don't just read it for entertainment. You know, what, what's the message there? I and mean, here's what one writer said about the message of where this father, the daughter says, can I have s- some water? And he gives her these two springs. Here's what one writer said. The moral interest, and he's talking about these verses. The moral interest of the narrative is the light it throws on the generosity of Caleb. His son-in-law asked of him a field, a field apparently of special value. He got it. His daughter asked springs of water, and she too gained her request. He had the heart of a father. That's very important to remember. He had a genuine interest in his daughter and son-in-law and desired to see them comfortable and happy. I mean, it doesn't say that, but I think it's clearly implied. Kindly and large-hearted, he at once transferred to them valuable possessions that a greedier man would have kept for himself. And then this writer goes on to say, it is no great wonder that an incident which reveals the flowing generosity of a Godlike heart should, t- should sometimes be turned to account as a symbol of the liberality of God. All human generosity, he says, is but a drop from the ocean of the divine bounty, a faint shadow of the inexhaustible substance. So this writer, as many do, says the message here is just as Caleb was generous with his daughter and son-in-law, that is a picture, that is the image of how God is generous to us, his children. Now, when the Lord wants us to think about him, that is the metaphor that he uses The image that he gives to us with which he wants us to think about him is as a father. When we as born-again Christians think about God, God wants us to think of him as a father, as a generous father. And Caleb would illustrate that. The metaphor that God wants us to use is that of a father when we think of Him. In fact, the Lord's Prayer starts out, "What our Father." I mean, that's when Jesus was teaching uh, the disciples to pray. He didn't say, "Pray, our King," our, and that, that would have been okay, or "Your Highness," or anything like that. A very a term we can relate to. Everybody, I mean, certain kind, We don't really in this country relate to kings. I don't know, but everybody, wherever you live, you can relate to the fact of a father. So it's interesting that that terminology is used. Our father, which art in heaven. Not just there, but scripture in general wants us, when we think about God, to make sure that we have the right image of him, wants us to think of him as our father and as a benevolent father, as Caleb demonstrated. That's the image, because if, if we don't really know about God, if we weren't taught about God, if we didn't have the Bible, we might wonder, what's God like? Is, is, he, is he like a brute, or, or is he, you know, just like a grandpa? What is he? Well, Look, look in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 11, it, it, it emphasizes that metaphor again. It, it says, talking about the generosity of, of our Heavenly Father, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask of him? Again, when Scripture refers to our relationship with God, it is using the image of a father, a generous father, according to Matthew uh, chapter 7 and verse number 11. And that is the image that he wants us to have, and that's the right image. But thinking people, which you are, really can't ignore the 500-pound gorilla in the room. Because there are preachers, especially on TV, that will say simply name it and claim it. But if you've been saved any length of time... You sometimes struggle with things like God is generous and God is good and God is loving because there's been some things you've prayed for and it didn't happen. We've all prayed for people, for God to heal, and He didn't heal them. We've prayed that we would not get into a certain situation, and we got into that situation. And so understandably, there's people in congregations that's trying to sort through this. Caleb was really generous with his daughter and with her husband. And that's great, and that's the image that God wants us to have. But my experience seems to be, some people might say, a little bit different. And so you might be struggling with God. Well, is he good or not? Is he generous or not? From my perspective with life being hard so many times and difficult, how can I come to the conclusion that God is my Father, and as my Father, He is generous and He is good? Well, if you think about it, the metaphor, what God wants us to think of Him is as a father. And when you think about a good father... I think it gives us the right perspective because God wants us to think of him as father our father which are in heaven and how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him so to resolve that issue of really is God that good because I've had some bad experiences and some things I've prayed for really haven't happened well let's think about God let's, let's, let's just Continue on with that with that metaphor. Excuse me, Sharon, metaphor. She fusses at me for that word. She said, you did it again. I mean, I get almost every Sunday and Wednesday night going home, I'm getting a lecture from her. Feel sorry for me. Every mistake. But that is one of your pet peeves. I say metaphor. So... I'm trying, because when I said it a while ago, I looked over there and I thought, oh, I'm going to catch it when I go home tonight. That's one of her little pet peeves. So, let's think about that metaphor. Think about, God wants us to think of him as a father, so let's do that. Let's just do that, based on common sense and our experiences. Because a good father, and we're talking about a good father, there are bad fathers, but, you know, we know better than that. Common sense says you don't go there. You know, our God is a good father, so we're to think of him as how you would think of a good father here on earth. And, and I think it'll give us some perspective. You know, that's, you know, balance is important to me. That's been a theme through the years here, being balanced, and, and, and perspective. You know, and I've said it many times from this pulpit, if you have the wrong perspective, you're, you're just sitting, setting yourself up for disappointment. And, and, and for hurt. And I've, I've given you the illustration before that early on here, you know, it, churches go through troubles and problems, and we lost some people early on. And, you know, I read about big name preachers like R.B. Mulette down in Saginaw and big churches, biggest independent Baptist church in, in Michigan. And from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to be pastor. People have left, people are mad, people aren't coming back. And then I go down and R.B. Willett, pastor of the biggest church at that time, Independent Baptist Church in Michigan, I sit down with him, and he was telling me about people that have left and leave and go. That encouraged me because I had the right perspective. You know, I thought, okay, well, this is normal, and that's important to know what's normal. Well, let's think about, let's think about God as, as a heavenly father. What is a good father? And I came up with ten things. And I think this does reflect on... God's nature as a father. A good father, is it not true, doesn't give his children everything they ask for. Am I right? So am I going to get everything I ask for? No. Because my heavenly father's bad? No, because he's good. Because when I was a kid, I didn't get everything I asked for. So the fact that you don't get everything you ask for doesn't reflect poorly on God whatsoever. In fact, it, it reflects well on Him. So understand that. There is no good father that gives their children everything they ask for. Because it would just be wrong to eat cotton candy three meals a day. Which, if I could have gotten that when I was a kid, are better than that fudge. Three times at breakfast, lunch, and supper. No. So perspective is important. A good father doesn't give his children everything they ask for. And our heavenly father is not going to give us everything we ask for. Which brings us to point number two as we think about a good father. A good father will, on, will give only what he believes is appropriate for his child. That's what a good father is going to do. That's what our Heavenly Father is going to do. And we need to understand that. And when we understand that, we're not going to get angry at God. We're not going to get bitter at God. He knows what He's doing. A good Father will only give what He believes is appropriate for His child. Okay? The Lord wants us to think of Him as our Heavenly Father. Okay? We can relate to that. Well, a good Father will only give what He believes is appropriate for His child. And that's that's good. That's what makes him a good father. A bad father will give his children things that are not appropriate, will allow them to do things that are not appropriate. That's a bad father. And so it is with God, too. He will only give us things he believes is appropriate for us. Number three, a good father will often say no to a request. Might be a little repetitive based on what we've already said, but, it, but it's true. A good father will give, will sometimes just say no. I mean, a father knows better than a 4-year-old, 5-year-old, 8-year-old, 10-year-old. A good father just knows better and says no. And, and sometimes the child may not understand. It's not fair. You know, it's, not, it's not fair. Well, a good father will oftentimes say no to a request. And so it is with our Heavenly Father that uh, he will say no to uh, our request. I don't know why I just thought about this. I I should have shared this at at blessing time. So let me pause, commercial. Uh, Back to the story in just a moment. Uh, Brother Chris Luterman, we... Learned to love the Luterman family. It was about the only good thing that happened in our three years in Chicago. And we've stayed in touch with him for years. Chris was four years old when we were there at the church. And uh, he works with his uh, fa- father-in-law, Pastor Kennedy, down in Gaines, Michigan, a church down there. And he's on staff there at that church. Well, he brought some young people up, and they were... Uh, they, they canoed the river today, and afterwards, he say, he called me. He said, look, he said, we got a picnic lunch. Can we come picnic at your picnic tables back in the back this afternoon after we get done? I said, well, sure, absolutely. So him and Missy, uh, Missy's sharp, sharp girl, his wife, uh, they were back there, and Sharon and I went back there. And like I say, we've known Chris for 30 years. And so we were back there visiting, and he had nine teenagers with him. And um, Sandy, you'll... Can we refer to you one more time tonight? You don't mind? I mean, she kind of likes that anyway. So anyway, you know, we had, we had the sawdust pile back there, okay? And we put candy in it for the, for the 4th of July. And we put money in it. And those teenage boys were just kind of hanging around. Now that sawdust pile has been gone through and there's no candy in there. Was it last Wednesday night or was it Sunday that they let the church kids go out? Because you know, we got rained out on, on the 4th of July, so I told those boys, those teenage boys, it was three of them back there, I said, there's money in that sawdust pile. I said, I guarantee you those kids didn't get all the money. So I got a text from <laughs> from um, Brother Chris uh, a, little, a little later. He said, thanks for the sawdust pile. He said, those three boys went home $8.25 richer. <laughs> they found all kind of money in there. All right, back to the story. A good father, number four, will allow his children to sometimes experience very difficult circumstances. Sometimes good dads will know, this is not going to end well, but under my control, they, yeah, you know, good dad, you yeah, under my control, this is going to teach them a good lesson. And I've given the illustration, it's not that big of a deal, but years ago when my kids were, when my boys were, you know, young teenagers, they wanted to... Uh, float the river uh, with the the Blanchard boys. And, you know, also the Blanchards were here, uh, at least Dennis and his wife were here, and daughter-in-law were here Sunday. And anyway... Uh, I, I it was I said look it's overcast the high today's in the mid sixties oh dad we can do it we can do it we can do it and I, I knew I, I said y'all are gonna freeze well the Blanchard boys are gonna do it and what Adam and what what's their what's their name Adam the three boys Sharon somebody help me Aaron I mean Adam Scott and Brian okay those of you that knew this is long time ago uh and, but I finally decided okay all right, y'all are going to freeze. And sure enough, guess what? They call a little later, and they, they say, come get us. I said, you didn't get very far, did you? No. You know, and I knew it was going to be an unpleasant experience, but they had to learn. And when you, when you put what we're going through in life in the perspective of a father, a good father will sometimes allow his children to experience difficult circumstances with the hope That'll teach them a lesson. Number five, a good father knows this world can be a hard place, but he wants children anyway. Think about that one for a second. Most all of us adults in this room have brought children into the world, and we know this world is a hard place, but we brought them into the world anyway because we love them. The Lord brought us into the world, and it's a hard place. But he loves us. That doesn't make him a bad God, because this world is hard, and we're living in it. No. He's a good God. Just like we have brought our children into the world, he has allowed us to be in the world, too. So, when you think, God can't be God, God can't be real, this place is a hard place. Yes, it's a hard place, and you and I brought children into it, and we've been brought into it. And you think about it, in that sense, you say, you know, it's okay, Because in the end, it's going to end well. Number six, a good father will allow pain and discomfort to teach important life lessons. We've all allowed, at at times, our children to experience, sometimes, and sometimes they've just experienced our punishment, which could have been painful. Number seven, a good father is always motivated by love, you know, even when he, maybe because he loves them. He chastens them. Not maybe, he does. Or allows them to go through some difficult circumstances. Number eight, a good father is honored when his children display character and handle adversity well. I mentioned, um, who are the three boys and the the pastor was out in Missouri, the big church out there? Sandy? Herb's Herbster, Yeah. And I really didn't know Brother Herbster, but I knew the three sons, grown sons in ministry. And just knowing And one of the sons at a young age, lost his young wife, and I saw how he responded in such a godly way, you know, that just reflects so well on, on Brother Herbster. And so when the Lord allows us to go through troubles and trials and we handle it, in a God-honoring way, it does just that. It brings honor to the Lord. So don't, don't be surprised and don't think that God is bad because he's allowed us to go through something that's difficult. Number nine, a good father wants his children to grow up and be a force for good. That's what a good father wants. He wants his children to grow up and not take from society and be a, a sponge or a, a leech or a detriment to society, or cause havoc in society. A good father wants his children to grow up and be a force for good. Our Heavenly Father uh, wants you and I to be, if you will, a force for good. And you can couch that in spiritual terms, to to be a witness, to be a testimony, to be steadfast, to be pure. And number ten, a good father knows that a life of ease produces an indolent adult. If you pamper and spoil your children, indolent basically means lazy. If you spoil your children, if they, if they just experience a life of pampering and coddling, they're going to grow up in all likelihood to be indolent. So you allow some difficulties, you allow some trials. We, we know that it builds character, that it is good for them. So, When you think about Caleb, and the fact that he was generous to his daughter and son-in-law, and preachers say, that points to the goodness of God. If you or I are tempted to just say, well, yeah, for them, but I've gone through this, I've gone through this, and now I'm going through this, again, does that make God a bad father? Not when you think of it in the terms that we have laid out tonight, because sometimes a good father—and we could have added eleven—sometimes a good father, I mean, a good father will punish his children. So you need to have the right perspective. Well, I, I know how it is. I'm sensitive to the fact that when you talk about God is so good, so gracious, answers prayers so much, people believe that they just don't believe it for themselves. And you might get frustrated with God or aggravated with God. But understand, no. There's good things he's doing there for you in those circumstances. I love this quote. It's this our final quote. To know God is to have a father who will always do right by us. Even when we're experiencing difficulties. Even if life is hard right now, you're struggling with a family member, you're struggling with a spouse, you're struggling with with an addiction, you have to understand he is your heavenly father. And to know God is to have a father who will always do right by us. You're going through tough times, don't be angry at God and don't think that he's a bad dad because he's not. Everything that he is allowing, everything that he wills, is because he loves you and he has your best interest in mine. He is your heavenly father. You know, I said it earlier. There are bad dads. There are sadly abusive dads. There are drunken, alcoholic, dopehead dads. There are Mean dads. And there are some, in many cases, sadly, absent dads. Your Heavenly Father is none of those. None of those. And the fact that things haven't gone well, and the fact that He has told you no, the fact that He's allowed you to suffer some difficulties, only shows you and I just how good He is. Because all of it is meant to do right by you and me we can be thankful for that